Runners to your marks, get set, and go. If I had a gun, I'd fire it here this morning. Those three great commands stir something in us, don't they? Even those of us who aren't athletes, even those of us who've never crouched down at a starting line or run across a finish line, those three great commands, take your marks, get set, and go. Those commands have been heard and heeded many a time, and this summer they will once again be the attention, not just of runners, but of people all over the world. How many sacrifices have those Olympic athletes made? How many times have they declined an invitation to stay out late or to go do this or that because, well, you know, tomorrow I have to get up early and train? How many pleasures were refused by those athletes because, well, that's not part of the diet? And how many, how many early morning laps and stairs and runs will they undertake instead of remaining like the rest of us, tucked into soft, warm beds? This summer, those Olympic runners will hear those three great commands, and they will heed them. And then they will run with everything that they've got. And if you could get into their head there at the starting line, here's what I would imagine you would not hear. I just want to have fun, says no one as he takes his mark. None of those ladies who will run says to herself, oh, it's just such an honor to be here as she gets set. And none of those runners will say, you know, if I don't do my best, there's always next time. Now those things they will say afterwards, won't they? Those are the comforts that the other runners will cling to when they watch the champion stand on that highest platform receiving the medal. When they hear the anthem of a foreign nation instead of their own, then they will say, but, but at least I got here, right? I got farther than anyone else. They will say, hey, at least I set my own personal record. Then those runners will say, the experience was all worth it. But the winners, the champions, they won't be saying anything like that, will they? Because they'll be the ones wearing the crown, so to speak. And when you have a crown, well, there's no need for those kinds of comforts. See, winning cures everything. And winning colors everything for that matter. All of those sacrifices, all of those early mornings, all of those stair climbs, all of that self-discipline pays off in winning. And the victors look back on it all and say, that was fun. That was worth it. Some of them will even say, I want to do it for four more years. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a time and there's a place for everyone just to play to have fun. It's one of the great things about sports and hobbies and leisure activities that they can be undertaken just for the fun of it. But Christianity is not a hobby, is it? It is a vocation, we should say, not an avocation. Have you heard that distinction before? The difference between your vocation and your avocations? When we speak of our vocation, we are speaking of a calling. That's what the word literally means. And God's word teaches us to think of his world in these three interrelated spheres. We call them God's orders. God has ordered the family. Within the family, you have a husband and a wife, a father and a mother, and the children. You have employers and employees. God has also ordered the church. In the church, you have preachers and you have hearers. 
And God has even ordered and established the government around us. There are those who rule, and there are those who are citizens. And it's in those three spheres that we usually speak of our vocation. But when you put that little letter A in front of a word, it cancels it out, right? So if your vocation is your calling, what's your avocation? It is your non-calling. It is those interests and hobbies that you take up in your free time. And in your hobbies, in those avocations, you are perfectly free to take it easy. You can be as disciplined of a model train builder as you want to be, can't you? You are free to be as competitive or as uncompetitive as you desire in the game of chess. There, it really is true, if you had fun, you won. There, it really is true, well, there will always be a next time. There, it really is true, it's all about the experience, not just the winning. But would we say that about our vocations? What kind of a pastor would I be if I stood here before you in the pulpit and said, I'm really just in it for the fun? What kind of a father would I be if I said, I'm trying to hit, you know, kind of middle of the road fatherhood? I guess I'll give it a try unless something else comes along that's more pressing. What kind of members of the church would we be if we were hobbyist Christians? Today we must set aside all of these notions of being amateurs. Today is a day to hear and to heed. On your marks, get set and go. Today, St. Paul calls you to see your Christian life not as a hobby that kind of exists on the outside while your real life goes on over here. No, today St. Paul calls out to each and every one of you, run that you may win. For above and beyond all of our other vocations in the family, in the church, in the state, is the calling, the vocation to faith in Christ. That is the vocation that stands above and beyond all others. That is our common single calling. Now notice, right, notice where St. Paul starts when he talks about these things. Notice where he doesn't start. He doesn't compare your Christian life to a race and say, now look, in a race, all the runners have to lift their knees really high. He doesn't start in by talking about discipline. He doesn't say in the race, all the runners have to pump their arms just like this. He doesn't give us advice about techniques, not first. He doesn't say all the runners breathe in through their noses and out through their mouths. There is a time and a place for that kind of teaching on the Christian life. There is a time and a place to discuss different techniques for different kinds of life. Technical discussion and discipline all have their place. But today, today Paul focuses first and foremost on a kind of mindset. You have to want to win. You have to want to win. That might seem obvious to you. It kind of should be. Why else would we have followed Christ if we didn't want to go all the way? But look at the world all around us. The world all around us perishes, doesn't it? It grows dim and dull. There seems to be a great exhaustion with life in the world around us. 
There is a great weariness with the things of life. A great aimlessness hangs over families and over the workplace. A great exhaustion seems to spread through the society all around us. And you can see it in the faces and in the bodies of the people around us. People who resign themselves to kind of meaninglessness. Or, or maybe who get really caught up and really interested in all the distractions of life, all the hobbies well, the real stuff, ah, I don't really want to pour myself into my family. I don't really want to give my all for the church. I don't really care all about what happens in the state. And that kind of thinking creeps in to the church, doesn't it? There are many who are content to say, well, I got to start once upon a time. There are many who are happy to simply be hobby Christians. I'll leave the professional stuff to the professional kind of people. But see, Jesus cannot be one thing among others. With Jesus, it is kind of an all or nothing sort of deal. The Christian church and its membership is not just another group. The vows that we take and the oaths that we give here in this place are unlike the oaths of any kind of club in the world around us. And so we must be reminded that we are in it to win. Run that you may win the race. And so set for yourself this morning a picture, a picture of yourself winning, standing with Christ. That's what Olympic runners do, don't they? Olympic runners have to keep that clear picture of themselves wearing the medal. It's in their mind every day when they question whether it's all worth it. When they question the early mornings or the flight of stairs before them, they, rem they remember that they want to wear the medal. In St. Paul's day, it wasn't a gold medal that was given, but a crown of leaves. You may have heard it called the laurel wreath. That's what they would wear. And that crown came with other honors. In fact, it was such an honor to win the particular race that Paul refers to. It was called the Stadion. It was such an honor to be the stadion winner that for the next four years, all of time would be referred to in your name, in the victor's name. It's that victory mindset that made the Olympians hone their technique with so much discipline. But Christ has prepared something far better than a crown of fading leaves for his disciples. That stuff, that stuff fades and is forgotten. How many of us could name the victor in the stadium race from the Olympiad in which St. Paul wrote, let alone, let alone the 700 years that came before Christ? Listen again. They run to win a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Picture that this morning, the wreath imperishable. This is the way our epistle sums up the victory of our faith. That is our goal. And have that picture in your mind when you hear this great word redemption. Redemption means to be bought back, right? Or to win back. Christ has won you back from sin, from death, and from the power of the devil so that we may be his own and live under him in his kingdom. That's what winning looks like in the Christian life, to be his own and live under him in his kingdom. That is the wreath imperishable. We call it everlasting life, right? But it is a particular kind of everlasting life. It is everlasting life where sin and death and the power of the devil are conquered. That means they're vanquished, where the victory of Christ is now shared with his disciples, 
where imperishability, immortality, incorruptibility is brought about. All of that, St. Paul simply sums up in this term, the wreath imperishable. It's not just more of this present life that we're after, isn't it? It's not just the quantitative extension of this present life on forever, but it is a qualitative upgrade. When sin will be no more, when death will be banished, and when Satan's lies will cease, that is what we are running to win. That is what we are after. Here's how St. Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 3. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them all as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Knowing Christ, being known by him, having Christ and being had by him, that's what the wreath imperishable is. That is the helmet of our salvation. That is what we are after. It's such an immense thing, isn't it, that it's actually kind of hard to put it into words. The words always seem to fall short which is why we need to have some kind of lived-out anticipation of it. And this, too, Christ Jesus gives us here in this place. Think about what happens. We gather here on the Lord's Day to celebrate the victory of our Lord, his victory over sin and death and hell, and we participate in that victory by faith. But here we come, and in the liturgy of the word and the altar, we are given a foretaste of the feast of victory. Here we are given a sense of what wearing the wreath of imperishability is all about. Sin is absolved and the praises of the Lord erupt from the people of God around us. Our Lord stands among us and gives gift upon gift, grace upon grace. His word is heralded out to us and we respond with glad amens. Thanksgiving permeates everything and the victory feast is tasted in the company of fellow runners. Here we have a glimpse of sin's final destruction. Here we have a glimpse of death's ultimate defeat. Here we have the crushing of the serpent beneath our own feet. And that victory, that victory mentality is contagious, isn't it? That's part of the power of the victor's mindset. If you've ever played on a team that wins, you often hear people talk about momentum, right? One win leads to another. One victory leads to another. And before long, everybody wants more and more and more. And isn't this one of the great purposes and experiences of our congregational life? See, left to ourselves, we would fade rather quickly, wouldn't we? Left to ourselves, we would grow dull and exhausted. And so we are not left to ourselves. We are pack runners. Jesus surrounds you with crying little saints. Jesus surrounds you with new little saints here this morning so that the joy of the victory would be contagious. This is part of the reason that your participation in worship is so significant. It is contagious when you sing, when your amens and your thanks be to God's and your Lord have mercies are spoken clearly and crisply. Because the way that we believe and the way that we worship will lead to the way that we live. It's all bound together. We worship like we believe, like we live. Like runners who run to win. 
So make no mistake, discipline is a feature. It's not a bug of the Christian life. An undisciplined disciple is an oxymoron. You can hear it in the root of the word, can't you? An undisciplined disciple. Those things cannot be. There is a time and a place for us to hear about the techniques and the disciplines of our faith, but today, today the call goes out to be renewed simply in this, the desire to win. And wonder upon wonder with the Lord, that victory that he gives to you doesn't rule out that others would win too. That's how it goes in the Christian race. In the Olympics, only one can win, but we heard today that our Lord gives to the 11th hour worker as the ninth, and he gives to the ninth as the sixth, and the sixth as the third, and the third as the first. And all of it he gives by his grace. That denarius, that wreath imperishable, is not a reward saved for only one, but is the promise of salvation that goes out to all. So run to win on your marks, get set, and go. We rise and sing the offertory, create in me a clean heart.